Excellent. Well, if you are a kid and you didn't get the hint, it's time to go. So, Travis, you got me back there? Check, check, check. It's all good. If you need to throw me a, a hand mic, I don't mind to do that. We'll do it that way. Check, check, check. Let me give it a shot. How are we doing? Not so much. Now? Check, check. Oh, thank you. We'll do Excellent. Whoa, there we go. Kind of went overcorrection there. No. Hey, this will be great. Well, good evening and welcome to Grace Meadows Church. If I haven't met you, I really would love the opportunity to meet you and get to know you after the service. Um, let me tell you where we're at. We are in the third week of our Job series, everybody's favorite book, right? Now, Steve Spear, it is his favorite book. Anybody else, their favorite book of the Bible? No, Steve, you're alone. Sorry, man. I don't know what to tell you, but let me tell you where we've been. So if you haven't been with us for the other two weeks, go back on our YouTube channel, check that out. But essentially where we've been is um, God and the enemy have a couple of conversations. And the enemy, God allows the enemy to take basically everything away from Job. And not just everything away from Job, but inflict great pain on Job. And then last week we talked about the friends of Job after this happens and he's suffering and in pain and all this kind of stuff that they give some pretty rough counsel, don't they? I mean, they start out pretty well, you know, the first seven days they just kind of let them mourn and they don't say anything, but then they give some pretty rough counsel thereafter. And it's because they didn't recognize that, that Job was in fact blameless here. He didn't deserve the things that happened to him. And this that's why this is such a hard story, isn't it? I mean, we can understand. You know, if it, it should have been, in our eyes, it should have been somebody who was a pretty rough husband or like a non-present father or something like that. I mean, that would make sense to us as to why there would be suffering. But when there is seemingly unfair suffering, that's when things get very difficult for us, doesn't it? And especially when you include kids in the matter. And that's where my heart, every time I read this story, you know, wealth is one thing. I mean, look, you know, you lose your wealth, okay. You know, not that big of a deal. You lose your stuff, fine. But to lose 10 kids, I mean, that's a, that's a pain that you just wouldn't wish on anybody. And that's why this story is so perplexing, so difficult for us to even navigate, right? And so tonight, I'm not going to really try to provide any answers. In fact, when we wrap up this, the series in two weeks, you're really probably not even going to see any answers then. What you are going to see is a new perspective that perhaps is much greater than having the answers. But tonight, what I really want to do is just go through Job's responses, lament, and just kind of process through when we go through suffering, how do we respond in the midst of it? 
Because undoubtedly, maybe you are suffering right now, and maybe you're not. But if you're not, you're going to want to back pocket this, because undoubtedly, there will be a time in your life where there will be suffering. So Job, for 20-some chapters, is just pouring his heart out here. I mean, not only is he suffering, not only is he in pain, and he's sort of responding to that, he's also having to respond to his friends who are giving him bad counsel and really being bad friends, and now he's having to defend himself. So you have this wide range of responses from Job here. Some good and some beautiful, man, wonderful, wonderful responses of trust in God. And then you also have some very understandable, not-so-good responses from Job because he's in the midst of this pain. It's, it's raw, right? He's mourning, and he's in pain. So let's talk through all those tonight. Let's talk about the good and the not-so-good. Let's start with the not-so-good. Save the, save the good for last, right? First, he gave into this transactional theology. And by the way, I don't know if that's a real term. Sometimes I just make things up. But he had this, him and his friends both, they had this transactional theology. If I do blank, God will do blank. You know when you're in kindergarten when the teacher says, sit crisscross applesauce, and if you do it, she comes around with a little M&M and you get an M&M, right? That's, that's the point of what we're talking about here. If I tithe, then God will reward me with great finances. Or if I pray enough, then God will reward me with that promotion that I've been seeking. If I stop cussing, then God will allow me to hit a home run next time I go up to bat. Maybe that one's just more me, but you have, you have, your, own, you have your own stuff. Where you say, if I do this, God will do this. And Job and his friends, man, you see throughout this, this theology that I got to do this and God will do this. And when this happens, by the way, he is so rocked to the core, isn't he? I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not blameless. I mean, I'm blameless here, right? I, I haven't done anything wrong, so why is all this stuff happening? I mean, you can see really, right? It, it, not, only is he, not only is he upset about the suffering, but he's also very confused right now. He doesn't understand why is this happening because he had this transactional theology. So he's rocked to his core when this happens. So in the story, we see there are three major problems with this transactional theology. Number one, the truth is the only deal to be made with God is our full surrender. To think that there is anything that we could do to dictate God's response is pretty silly, isn't it? I mean, sure we can present our requests to God, and he hears us, but he completes the entire transaction in our relationship, doesn't he? I mean, he makes the covenant, he keeps his end of the covenant, and when we couldn't keep our end of the covenant, he makes a way for us in that realm. So we have to understand that reality, that there's, there's really nothing we can offer here. We couldn't keep that standard. Everything is by him and through him, and to him, just like Romans 11 tells us, Romans 11, uh, 36. So then, everything in our lives is such a gift, not earned. I mean, isn't that so important to recognize that, that we don't earn anything? Everything is just such a gift. Because we have such little power to do anything at all. I mean, it doesn't matter how tough you are. We are so easy to kill, aren't we? I mean, we can go very quickly 
I mean, that's powerless, isn't it? I mean, not, not, not just our mortality, right? I mean, I, two out of the last four funerals I've been a part of have been 20-somethings. I mean, isn't that a sobering thought to say it, it could go any time? It doesn't matter how many strings you pull, how many things you put in place, how many systems you put in place and all that. There can be suffering and pain and even death beyond our control, isn't there? And it stands to reason, too, that even take your mortality out of it, how many people do you know that, man, they've been blessed with an abundance and they haven't given God a second look, right? Or people who have hardly anything, and man, they're some of the best, wonderful people to be around, right? I don't think we should ever think that there are certain systems we can put in place to where we will never suffer and we will always experience his blessing. We have to understand that really, I mean, what we really have to understand is that the prosperity gospel is absolute nonsense. That's what we have to understand here. Remember the blind man in John chapter 9 when the Pharisees are convinced there's really only two options here. He's born blind because either he sinned or his parents sinned. And Jesus says, essentially, no, no, there's more going on here. This is bigger than, than you think. They're, they're not actually that powerful to dictate God's responses here. And Job, in Job chapter 9, he struggles with this transactional theology too. He says this about God. He says he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked... He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? See, his question is not, what other reasons could this have happened? His question is, I know I'm being punished unfairly here, so if it's not God, then who is it? Because this transactional theology, what it does is it makes us uh, look at God like he's a puppet on our strings. You know, I do this, he's going to do this. If I'm good... He'll reward me. If I'm bad, then there will be consequences ahead. But that's just not accurate. Number two, another reason why if I do blank, God does blank is just not good theology is because God moves whether we do or not. The thought that God stays still until we do something is nonsense. He's the one who makes the first move. He's the one who his character itself is to pour out, is to love, is to, to woo us, to be around us, to, to really demonstrate his goodness all the time in front of us. God just is. I mean, you could do a million things right and God won't love you more, and a million things wrong and God won't love you less. It's just who he is. Love is who he is. And if he waited, let's be honest, if he waited until we were good to do something, nothing would get done. I mean, the psalmist says, no one is good, no, not one. He acts despite us. It's just his character. It's just who he is. And you see, especially in Job 24, Job's sequence of events is bad people do bad things, then God does something. Good people do good things, and then God does something. But God is active throughout. His presence is with us throughout. God's character is God's character, and he will have that character no matter what we 
do. God always pours out. And the third reason, another reason why if I do blank, God does blank is bad theology is because a transactional relationship could never lead, lead us where we want to go anyway. There's a false assumption here that there's a place that we can reach where contentment will come once we get to a certain spot. But remember King Solomon. Man, that dude had splendor like nobody's ever seen. Wealth for days. I mean, whatever he wanted, he could have access to. I mean, all the things in my childhood that I wanted, he had. I mean, I always wanted that, like, uh, indoor basketball court at the house. Solomon had it. I mean, not literally, but you get the... He could have if he wanted to. That Chick-fil-A drive-in at the house, he had it. That golf course on your property, man, he had it. He had everything that you could ever possibly want. And in the end, he just says, what? It's meaningless. It's meaningless. And so transactional theology gives the promise that if you get to a certain point, then you'll be content But the reality is, it's not really so much about God's presence, T-S, as it is God's presence, C-E. That's so important for us to recognize. Solomon understood that. So Solomon has everything and calls it meaningless. And meanwhile, Job loses everything and ultimately realizes that God is enough. That's important. That's so important. The end result of a transactional relationship brings shallow returns that leaves you going, What? I mean, I just thought, if I did that, then I'd get where I want to be. But it's weak and ultimately unfulfilling. Now, while Job's theology had some serious flaws, he gets the grand scheme exactly right. See, Job's theology of trust superseded his transactional theology at the end of the day. See, every step of the way, despite not understanding, he actually moves himself towards God, not away from God. So when the transaction did not work out to his liking, he ultimately asks, asks God why and doesn't move himself away from him. I mean, that's crucial, isn't it? God's not afraid of our questions. In fact, asking questions is a sign that we're not moving away from him. And so while transactional theology was a big part of his theology, his trust was much greater than that. So he leaned into God when he didn't understand, not backed away. And just like you would in a, transac- a regular transaction, you know, if, that, if the talks break down, if the transaction breaks down, what does everybody do? They walk away from the table, right? Job doesn't do that. He demonstrates that his trust is greater than his transactional theology. But how often do we see this today? Where, man, I didn't get my way. I don't understand it. This is frustrating. I don't understand the character of God right now because of something that happened. And so then what do people do? Move away. They move to the next thing. They withdraw. They go to the next thing that they think is going to fulfill them. And church, we've got to be a church that always leans in, especially when we don't understand. We lean in. We don't back away. We lean in. I had a a youth a few years back. Um, when I was working at another church, and she struggled with anxiety. And um, when she would really struggle with anxiety, she would start to withdraw. She'd start to cancel plans. And I'd, I'd just plead with her, you can't do that. 
You got to lean in right now. You got to have community. You got to lean in. You got to come to church. You got to you got to be around believers. You got to lean into God when you don't understand because what happens is when you start withdrawing, then all these other factors come to play and it makes it so much more difficult. So church, we have to lean in. We have to stay close to him. We have to always lean in. One of the most important verses to remember, I think, is when Jesus says, abide in me or remain in me in John 15, verse 4. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That's what Job does here, man. He's, he's mad. He complains. He talks about how things are unfair. He's, he's full of grief, but at the end of the day, he leans in. He says, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I, I've, I've seen such horrific pain, Job says, and yet all I know is I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to lean in. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm going to trust him. A great example of this I was thinking all week is there's a lady I know who she had a divorce two years ago, and then she loses her best friend to suicide last year. Horrific pain. And I'm sure there was, there were so many nights where she said, why God, why? I mean, why? Why is this happening? And yet at the exact same time, you would see pain, but you would also see peace. You, you would see her leaning in. You would see a confidence in God in the midst of it. We saw such good fruit in the midst because she just remained in him. She didn't go to other things. She didn't withdraw. She didn't go numb. She didn't go to addiction. She didn't go to other things. She just said, God, I'm just going to remain in you. I mean, I'm just going to trust you. I mean, I don't get it right now, but I just at the end of the day, I'm just going to trust you. And since that time, we've seen such a ripple effect of, of groups starting that just have been wonderful because of her faithfulness. To just say, God, I'm just, I'm just going to stay close to you. I'm just going to lean in. I'm not going to go to other things. And Job, he leans in. He says, I don't get it. I don't get any of this. This is painful. But I know God is still good, and I'm just not going anywhere. I am firmly planted, and I'm going to keep reaching out to God until he answers because I know he's good, and I know he will answer at the end of the day. A church, when we go through things, we've got to just remain in him. Remain in him. Y'all know that song, My Redeemer Lives? Y'all know where that comes from? The book of Job. Job 19, verse 25. He's got all these emotions and all these different responses, but in verse 25 he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. In his worst moments, he is hungry for God's presence. He is wanting God to come and comfort him and answer him and, and be there for him. And as God is always so gracious to do, he... He shows up. He answers Job. He does better than answers Job, and we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. But God will always answer you. 
If you seek him and you remain in him, he will always answer you. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Y'all, there's going to be all kinds of nuance to our responses in suffering. And at the end of the day, we've just got to remain in him. My question for us as we get back into worship is, do I view God in light of my circumstances, or do I view my circumstances in light of who God is? Job ultimately chose to view his circumstances in light of who God is. He just didn't go anywhere. He remained in him. So church, as you face suffering, remain in him. Remain in him. And we will see fruit. We will see his peace in our lives as we just stay close to him. Let's pray. Father, oh, we thank you for the truth of your word. We're so thankful for this story like, <laughs> like most of the time we're thankful for this story. Um, but God, we're so thankful that you just demonstrate who you are in the midst of it. You, you kind of reorient some things in our hearts. You kind of change our perspective on some things. You, you help us to see that, that wide view lens of your perspective in the midst. And Father, we thank you for that because what we really learn is that if we just stay close to you, if we just, we just stay close to you, that we, we know that you provide your presence to us and you don't withhold yourself from us. So, Father, as there is suffering in this room, because undoubtedly there will be suffering in this room, I pray that you just help us to just stay close to you, to stay with you, to help us just to not, we're, just, we're not going to go to other things. We're not going to go to addictions or to withdrawal or to, to numbness or to, to inappropriate relationships or, or pride or greed. or any, just, just help us to just stay close to you when we don't understand. Father, that's our prayer. We love you very, very much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's worship.